If it wasn't so disrespectful, we should open up with the monster mash, but that's just not. That's a different. That's, that's a, different, a different emotion altogether. It's, it's- Welcome to the Books We Love, a podcast through the Troy Public Library. Today we are talking about the TV show and the book and the movie MASH with our friend Blair from the Digital Services Department of the Library. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why I turned into JFK at the end. Because it's Friday, we're recording on the wrong day, and we're a little slap happy this afternoon. It's tonally off. For we've had some peppermints, show. we've had some Coca Colas. We had so it's much happening. peppermint. A lot. It's sm- all I can smell in this room is peppermint and wintergreen. We can call it peppy mint. That <laughs> joke was so bad that I'm even ashamed for you, and that's saying something because I am the queen of dad jokes. Happy <laughs> Friday, everybody. So MASH, that was a sitcom about the Korean War. It ran from 1972 to 1983. It was based on a novel by Richard Hooker based on his experiences as a doctor in the Korean War. And there was a movie directed by Robert Altman made in 1970. So it went book, movie, really long TV show. Yeah, the Korean War, the U.S. involvement in the Korean War, I think was like three years and the TV show was 11. So... Friends, I'm not great at math. I'll let you do the math on that Noodle one. over that one. Noodle over that. Um, so MASH stands for Mobile Army Surgical Hospital. So it's a um, medical show. So some people consider it drama, military show. There's a lot of dark humor, black humor. So is it a comedy? Is it a drama? Is it a dramedy? We'll let you decide after listening to the episode. Olivia and I were just talking about how... Um, in our educations, and I graduated from high school a long time ago, I learned a lot about Civil War, World War II. Revolutionary um, War. Revolutionary War, a little bit about World War One, but we never talked about Korea, really, Vietnam even. So I looked up a quick, a quick sentence for you from uh, Britannica. After defeating Japan in World War II, Soviet forces occupied the Korean Peninsula north of the 38th parallel. And when the U.S. got involved, we uh, occupied South Korea. And the whole reason the United States got involved in 1950, I think, was we were afraid of the spread of communism and the involvement of the Soviets. So that was a time in our history where we were very concerned about communism, um, overtaking democratic countries, coming to the United States. Um, you know, we had a lot of fears with Cuba, later the Cuban Missile Crisis in the 60s with Kennedy. Um, this was during the Cold War with uh, Soviet Russia. And in the United States during these years, I think uh, McCarthyism was happening, and that's when Senator McCarthy was going after actors, other politicians to, to see who was a communist and who might be infiltrating our country and bringing communism here. So, and unfortunately a lot of people died. So if you wanted to learn more about the Korean war, we have a ton of books on it in the Mm -hmm. library, uh, resources online too. Um, I'll put some of those in the show notes. So if you are interested in learning more about the Korean war, cause you're right, Amanda, we don't learn about that in school. Maybe they do now, but I definitely didn't. Nope when I was in school, just in our generic history classes. So um, a good thing to learn about um, history that really wasn't that long ago. Mm -hmm. Did you 
We said that we are going to share some resources on the Korean War and that we have a plethora of books on that topic. So instead of doing a read-alike for MASH, we both said we would just kind of share a little bit about what we're currently reading. Mm-hmm. Olivia, would you like to start? Yeah, so a, a reading recommendation I have, it has nothing to do with MASH, called Inciting Joy by Ross Gay. Ross Gay is one of my favorite writers. He is a poet, probably my favorite living poet, Uh, Definitely, if you like sort of warm, expansive, sort of Whitman-ish kind of poets, you're going to like Ross Gay. Uh, He is really good about writing about pleasant emotions. Um, This one is about joy. His earlier essay collection is called uh, The Book of Delights, which was a collection of essays. He wrote a different essay every single day about something that delighted him. So it it sounds kind of saccharine and syrupy, sweet chicken soup for the teenage soul kind of (laughs) books, but they're not that at all. Um, He definitely doesn't shy away from writing about the harder things too. But throughout all of his writings, there's a thread of warmth and joy and delight and um, bringing those things into your life is sort of a radical act, acknowledging Mm -hmm. that the world is a tough place sometimes and life can be really hard. And so finding the time to pause and be thrilled with the head of lettuce that you bought at the Mm. store is sort of a radical thing in the face of all that. So that book is uh, brand new this year called Inciting Joy by Ross Gay. That sounds really interesting. I find the older I get, the more that I try and find something, even in the bad, the bad stuff, like when you go through a really stressful something or something with your family, I've been trying to pause and be very intentional about finding like anything that isn't negativity, even if it's just awe at your own reactions. Wow, that's wise. And sometimes you can kind of surprise yourself with the things that you say and do and not always good and sometimes bad. Um, So that sounds really interesting. I will have to add that to my list. Actually, Olivia, what I am currently listening to with the Libby app, which you, if you're a Troy resident, you can download and borrow loads of e-books and e-audiobooks for free. Um, I took your recommendation. I think we talked about it over the holiday special. Um, Who is Maude Dixon? Oh, yeah. I am listening to it, and I texted Olivia this weekend. I am super stressed out. (laughs) I'm going to actually talk about some of my theories of what I think is going on after we stop recording because I don't want to spoil anything. There's a lot going on in this book, but really fun if you want to get lost in something that's kind of a banana pants story that's going to leave you wondering what's really happening, who's really who, and who is who? Are they who, who they say who? they are? Or are yeah. they some other dude completely? How am I not myself? Did you ever see I Heart Huckabees? No. Oh my gosh, forget to watch it. Okay. Um, that's one thing for, it's an adult book, adult fiction. And I am currently reading Garvey in the Dark by Nikki Grimes. And it is a novel written in verse, so written in poems. And it's about a youngster's experience of the pandemic. Oh. Um, and just through poems and how he starts to see the world and his world changing. And it is lovely and interesting. And, you know, she does a timeline of when things happen, and it takes place in California, but some of it's things that happen nationally and the dates and the timelines. And it really takes you back to that time. And it's really good. And if your kids are of an age that they are kind of asking what really happened during the pandemic, or I don't really remember. It's a really interesting read. So highly recommend it for tweens. What's it called again? 
It is called Garvey in the Dark. It's the second book in that series where Garvey is the main character. But you don't, I didn't read the first book. I don't know that you have to read them in all in order. So, but I would say it's for tweens, nine to 12. I want to read that because it does feel like the pandemic was just yesterday, but also it feels like years ago. It was a million years ago and most of it I blacked out and never processed. So it might be good to have something. Yeah. And some of the poems are full page and some of the poems are three lines and, but it captures, it really captures to me as an adult, having gone through it and remembering it pretty clearly, some things that I already forgot, some emotions I've already tucked away and so definitely recommend it to grown-ups too thank you all right thank so you, olivia speaking of emotions that are tucked away let's get talking about mash Giddy up. <laughs> Giddy up. so the first question we always ask is why did you pick mash what is your relationship with it? Oh, my relationship with MASH is it was my entertainment for when I got home from school. And I had no one else at home but a dog and myself. Uh-huh. But no, I just liked MASH because of the black humor. I was introducing myself as like preteen teen to other sources of humor other than goofy preteen stupidity. So you think you were like... Uh-huh. Maybe 11, 10, 11, 12 when you first encountered Probably like 11, 12, 13. Mm. So I was super young and left alone at home for like three hours. Yeah. that That's a strong bond. The yeah. TV that you watched when you were left alone, it was like your company when everybody else was gone. In that time period when you're individuating, so you're becoming separate from your family. So it becomes like, what do I like? Not what TV does my family like or my older sister like or whatever. Were you watching it on cable or was it reruns? It was actually on cable. So okay. it was like okay. Nick and Knight was still around. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then it ran for reruns for a while. It's still on. It's like on me TV now. Yeah. But just normal TV. I remember it was late night reruns because we were supposed to be in bed. And I remember sitting at the top of the stairs and watching it without my parents knowing. And I was probably eight, seven or eight. So way too young for it. But that was my introduction. Uh, yeah, and I had a strong affinity for it. I still watch the reruns and enjoy it, but uh, it's probably why I'm slightly a sociopath, seeing all that violence and gore as a child. So, yeah, <laughs> when you lean in. Um, so, what do you think, both of you? Because I don't have a huge history with this show. This was the first time I ever watched it, so I have no history with this show. I didn't know what it was about. I thought it was like Gilligan's Island kind of humor. <laughs> I didn't know where it took place. I had no background so what appealed to you about the show at the time so what did you like about it and then when we rewatched in preparation for this what did you like about it now was it different or the same I think when like I got introduced when I like tumbled upon it when I got home from like school for entertainment um, I was starting to really learn about my family history specifically like my grandparents and like my great aunt uncles and learning that my great uncle and my grandfathers were both in the military, but mm-hmm. my dad and my uncles weren't. So I was like, all right, why? Why weren't they? Yeah. And then my both my grandfathers were in World War II, but they got the tail end of World War II. But then there was like that weird cutoff with my great uncle who was in the Korean War. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just like, okay, why was like that difference of between the two? So, and then... Everyone 
sort of focuses on World War II, like, and no one really pays any attention to, like, the Korean War. Like, in pop culture, you mean? Yeah. yeah. Like, everyone just, like, loves the history of World War II, okay, sure. but not the Korean War. So it intrigued me that way of, like, okay, this is a culture and the war I don't know about. Because, mm-hmm. like, in schools, you just, they sort of focus on World War II, and then they go right to Vietnam. Mm. Mind you that when the show was being aired was during the tail end of Vietnam. So mm-hmm. it was sort of, sort of correlating, but it was during the Korean War when the show was being presented. So I just wanted to know a little bit more about like my uncle and being a dentist in the Korean War. Wow. So so you had that family tie. I mm-hmm. did have that little family tie, but like I didn't really fully grasp it until like years later of like oh okay that's what the show was really about because i was going for like oh this is entertaining this is funny the characters are hilarious right mm-hmm. yeah it just had that sitcom sparkliness yeah. yeah yeah i think that's also what i picked up on as a kid i like the humor i like the shenanigans yeah like when they would do mean stuff to the two characters it was winchester and um Frank burns for- burns and i i thought that that was super funny as a kid it's a hard show to binge watch for me like i spent all day monday all night monday watching it for like four hours and it's a lot but like it would be a great show if you were watching it while it was coming out so you're waiting every week to see what happens it's one of those shows for me that would be very cool to like have been there and see that hard to binge watch um Still liked it for the same things, like the shenanigans. I think Radar is actually my favorite character. Me too. Which I didn't have a favorite character as a kid, but Radar. It was Mine was Radar and Klinger. Yeah. Between the two, just because Klinger is just goofy and with his off-the-wall drag and trying to get out of the military and get Section 8. Mm-hmm. Klinger, or not Klinger, Radar was just adorable. Yeah. He had that his teddy bear and that was just like clung to him. They end up leaving after he left the show. He is a refreshing character because he's not um, lecherous in any way. Like a lot of the men are so um, gross. Gross. Like they try, they like sexualize women. Gross. Yeah. yeah, 1970s gross too. Well, yeah, because when the show was coming out. Yeah. um, It's it's just like so nice to have a character that you could maybe be friends with that wouldn't like hit on you. Yeah. And he was you just know? too sweet too. Sweet. Yeah. He's sweet. Yeah. I just like that he always knows what's gonna happen right before it does. Uh-huh. But it's like and he was like the person. one character that was also in the movie too. Yes. So he was, has that nice crossover between the two and ties the two together perfectly. So what okay, let let's take a little like maybe um, assessment Backstep. here who has watched the who has read the book because it was a book a movie and a tv show did in, you in that order it was a book in 1968 right the movie yes. came out in 70 and the show came started in 72 two blair have you experienced the trifecta i have okay Not in like that order i did tv show movie then book oh you did it backwards i did it backwards because i didn't know it was yeah. a book and a movie what's your quick take on each of the three obviously the TV show is my ultimate favorite just because I have a better bond connection with all the characters growing up. I didn't watch the movie until I was in college. Mm. So I was probably like 20, 21 at the time. when I, And then I read the book shortly after. I reread it recently just to catch up on this. And I'm like, oh, the 
book is not what I thought it was, but oh. it's still good. How, How is so? it different? I think it was like in my mind, I think like I have so much of the movie and the TV show. So I'm mm-hmm. correlating the movie and the TV show to the real people. And I'm losing the um, capability of actually just enjoying the book. So, and then I'm like, in my head, I'm thinking like, okay, why was this character not in the TV show? And then so I'm you're just, just comparing the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The book is not that long. It's a nice, easy read. It's like 170 pages or something. It's just a nice introduction to what the Korean War was mm. from a doctor's perspective. But it's nice because it was written by a doctor from the Korean War. So he has that little edge. Did your uncle tell stories about his time in the war? Not really, because he was actually stationed in Germany. Okay. So all the people, the soldiers that would get patched up in Korea would get sent to Germany because it was a quicker flight than coming to the States. Mm. So um, he would just be on call if they needed any major dental work because he was a dentist. So he... Or if, like, they would have um, guys going from the States stop in Germany really quick to do training and then go to Korea, mm-hmm. and they need, like, a quick, like, root canal. Mm-hmm. So be like, all right, we'll do, get you in and out, but you have to go. So it's an interesting dynamic to have some of your family that had been in service and some that hadn't. Did they ever talk about that, or was there ever any, like, tension between them because of it? Um. No, not really. Uh, my grandfather on my dad's side never left the States. Okay. So he was in D.C. towards the end of World War II. Um, he didn't want to go over to the Europe um, just because my grandmother came from Europe and she came from Berlin mm-hmm. and left uh, Germany in '39. Oh, wow. So... He didn't want to go over there. My other grandfather, my mom's side, he went to Japan mm-hmm. after the bombings and reconstructed Japan. Mm. He was in Nagasaki. Oh, wow. So I have all those pictures. Yeah. And I scanned them all into my computer. So I know like the timeline of he actually went by uh, the Navy, okay. even though he was in the Army. He went by uh, transport. Ship. Yeah, by ship to Japan to reconstruct it and then come back. I think he was only there for like six months or something, Mm. but he passed away before I could really start asking him questions. Yeah. That's, Mm -hmm. that seems to be a common thing that happens in families. Yeah. I wondered if maybe the people who tended to like this show the most either were people who were interested in war history. I'm sorry. We'll get to our like (laughs) experiences with the book and movie and everything. But um, my family didn't have any, like my nuclear family didn't really have any experience with war. My grandparents, you know, my grandfathers on either side were in World War II, um, both of whom never wanted to talk about their experiences. And so we were never like a military interested family. So I went to my best friend who his dad is in the Air Force and it was Mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, we watch this show every day. It was like a... And I thought my friend is very, um, I, he has never shown any interest in anything militaristic ever. Mm-hmm. I thought for sure he would be like, oh yeah, my dad forced me to watch that show and I hated it. And he was, he had such warm, 
memories of it of the character i was so surprised it's not like a military show necessarily yeah my husband loved it he was in the navy but he likes trevor john's character Uh uh-huh but when it flipped to BJ Honeycutt, he was just like, no. I still oh, like- see, I don't like Trapper John, but I love BJ Honeycutt. BJ Honeycutt's so sweet. And he's just he's, handsome with his so creepy handsome. mustache. <laughs> mustache. Oh, him. It's like a dad mustache. <laughs> <laughs> I will say my friend did not like the book. Did you, you, I, I tried to read the book for this episode, so I maybe made it 15 pages in, and I was like, no. It was, it was racist stuff, but also... I feel like, and it's the time, mm-hmm. it's the time, totally. it was the fifties, yes. but the doctor that writes it, it's, um, to me, the humor of the book and the movie felt meaner than the TV show. It felt yes. very frat boy, very, um, we're better than everybody. Not that all frat boys feel that, but that like frat boy energy where the guys get together and they're being misogynistic and they're right. They're just, um, like the shenanigans felt meaner to me in the book and the, which is interesting because the author actually said that he liked the movie, but he hated the TV show. So, oh, interesting. He hated Alan Alda. I, he was so good, though. I know he is good. But you go from being this story about like medical stuff, and it's less about having a political agenda. And then the TV show very much, to me at least, felt like it has the agenda of very anti-war sentiment yeah. for people that during the Vietnam War, it's airing and it's the doctor's take on everything and it makes things very real. And I think it probably was making people question our involvement in Vietnam as they were watching the show every week. With the movie, it was meant to be very dark. Yeah. The um, director wanted to be very dark it's and he actually put like, in. made sure it was like very foggy the whole time throughout the whole movie. But the funny thing is, is like, the director actually hated the book. Oh, really? He hated the book. But he kept it in line to the book the whole way through. Mm-hmm. He wanted that frat boy-ish kind of feel. It's maybe realistic to so, the story. Yeah, that whole movie was just like, he hated the author, hated the book, but liked how the frat boy feel, the gore of everything. And he wanted to make it gory. Mm-hmm make it more realistic of like, all right, this is a war that was not talked about that is not wonderful, but there was a lot of medical benefits to this war, Mm. which like the TV show does touch upon Mm -hmm. throughout the whole show of like um, dealing with the chest cavities and breathing ways. And they didn't really go into like amputee stuff really in the show. They did in the movie, but not really in the, tv show Mm. because the tv show just wanted to be a little bit more wholesome but wanted to talk about like how sometimes medical issues can be fixed in the military i wondered if maybe the frat boy antics were in place as like a coping mechanism to Mm -hmm. like offset the horrors that they were seeing on like a daily basis Mm -hmm. and maybe not a great coping mechanism but i don't know i've never been to war so i (laughs) I don't know what no, but it I mean, does to the brain. The movie does have some great actors in it. Yeah. That like jolted a lot of their careers. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I did like Alan Alda, not Alan Alda, but Don, Donald Sutherland in it. Yeah. He was just, he was probably my favorite character in that whole movie. For our younger listeners, Donald Sutherland <laughs> is President Snow in the Hunger Games movies. Oh, good. Good call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And his roommates, besties, are um, Tom Skerritt, who was Viper 
in the original Top Gun movie. And Elliot Gould, who is um, Mr. Geller from Friends, Monica and Ross's dad. A little tidbit for everybody. A little tidbit for our younger friends. Because <laughs> I feel like a lot of these actors are hella old now. They're all they like are. in their late 70s, early 80s. But I have a little tidbit about the movie. So Robert Altman was the director. He directed a lot of kind of irreverent 70s movies. He commissioned the Suicide is Painless song, which is in the movie and it features in the movie with the lyrics and everything. But then they transitioned and made it um, without lyrics for the TV show for the theme Mm -hmm. song. Um, He had Johnny Mandel actually write the music for it. And then he had, he wanted it to be a really stupid song, quote, the stupidest song ever written. And apparently Altman couldn't think of anything stupid enough. So he asked his 15 year old son to write it and he did it in five minutes. Um, And then he got writing, co-writing credits on the song. So Altman made $70,000 for directing the movie and his son made a million dollars for (laughs) co-writing. Wow. Because of the TV show. Yeah. Yeah. So not so stupid after all. Smartest 15 year old I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If you can get co-writing credits on a song that gets played over and over and over. He's probably still getting uh, royalties. royalties. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. And it is sort of a um, head scratcher, those lyrics. They are. Um, We should talk about particular episodes. Oh, good. Yeah. I'll go first because I don't have much to contribute because I only watched a few. So I watched... I don't really have a favorite. I watched a few of like the first episodes just to get the vibe. Mm-hmm. And then I watched the finale, which we can talk about later. Oof. Maybe or if yeah. you want to talk about it now. I loved it. I watch it regularly of everything. And I was just happy that Hawkeye actually got to leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I was so rooting for him. And I was rooting for what's mustache, Mr. Mustache. Honeycut. Honeycut. I'm only calling him dreamy mustache from now on. Dreamy mustache. <laughs> You want to talk about favorite other Do we want to give a quick synopsis of what happens with Hawkeye in particular? Yeah. So the episode starts with Hawkeye in a like, mm. mental health facility. Yeah. Is that the right term? Mental yeah. health facility? Hospital? And he's being treated by a Military doctor, psychiatrist. Psychiatrist, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And because Hawkeye has seen something that's disturbing to him and he has sort of a psychotic break and he has this repressed memory that the doctor is trying to come out of him. So throughout I thought it was really well structured throughout the Mm -hmm. episode he's talking to this doctor who he does not want to talk to and slowly but surely revealing a little bit more of the story every time of this memory that he's Mm -hmm. repressed that's a good way to describe it that was really hard to watch but that actually may have been my favorite episode just because I also like the psychiatrist and how he pops in throughout the show and um but just their relationship while he's doing these therapy sessions with Hawkeye is just really well-written. I would say it's really well-written, which is interesting because if you look at the credits at the start of the show, there's like seven seven or eight people that helped write that last episode, one of them being Alan Alda, who started, I guess, writing some of the episodes yeah. later in the show. I think it was like he started writing in like the fifth season or something. Wow. We are not alone in liking that finale. It was the... Um, 106 million people watched that episode and it still to this day is the most watched scripted TV show in history. Everybody watched it all at once. I looked at the list on Wikipedia and it was like 32 episodes, like the top 32 episodes of TV. Mm-hmm. Almost all of them were the Super Bowl. So you can imagine yeah. it's Super Bowl, sure. whatever. 
one, the very last one was the 2016 presidential debates. And then in the ninth spot is MASH. So it's like a sea of Super Bowl episodes. This one debates and then MASH. And I think it's, so they put in a little perspective. So the finale of Cheers had 84 million. The finale of Friends had 52 million. The Game of Thrones had 19 million. And then MASH was 106 million people. So it just blows them all out of the water. And I think it's going to be forever, right? Because TV watching habits have changed. We don't all sit down and watch an episode Mm -hmm. at the same time. That's the crazy thing about television is that, you know, when we were kids, it was, if you missed it, you missed it. Right. And you were lucky if you caught it on reruns eventually. Um, But nowadays, you know, like Game of Thrones, I can't believe that the number was so low. Yeah. But that's on the night that it dropped and it was a Sunday night. So think, I wonder how many people watched it that next week because of streaming. Totally. Um, Okay. So my, my experience is weird in that I watched these beginning episodes Mm-hmm. And then I watched the finale and there was a huge, I mean, it's been, it was 11 years, but there was a huge tonal difference. Like, yes. What do you, go ahead. No, it was just, there was between with Hawkeye, his character changed from being like a little bit of like a player to being somewhat of a activist of not wanting to harm people, supporting mm-hmm. different cultures and, anti-war and not just being very self-centered yeah which is what how he started in the beginning right so but a little weird fact is in the movie and the book uh alan Alda's character was married mm-hmm. and he had kids right yeah he had two boys in the tv show he was single right so i mean it makes more sense that he was a little bit of a player because he was single and then no responsibilities. Right. Where with um, Trapper John, he was married and had two daughters in the beginning. But uh, Trapper John's character left, like I think after the third season. Yeah. And then got BJ Honeycutt, who was just wholesome. Mm. Why did Trapper John leave? He just, his time was served. His character wasn't developing. So he didn't feel like he could compete with Al Nalda. Okay. So, but what they wrote him off that his time was up, right? Yeah. Okay. So, but then he got introduced to BJ um, right at the airport. Huh. Which leading, um, which fellow in charge of the MASH unit did you like better? Lieutenant Colonel Henry Blake was the original one. And then. Uh, with Harry or. Um, or um, Chairman Potter. Yeah. Um, actually, I like uh, Colonel Blake better. Do you really? Yeah. Did you watch enough to make an opinion or no? No. You don't have to keep this in. I'm just curious. No. I love Colonel. It's Colonel, right? Colonel, Colonel Potter. Potter. Loved him. I, yeah. love that, actually, I love that level of sternness in the person that's in charge where it's like an affectionate father, but that they're also very stern with them. Like he was the one yeah. that was crying when he was saying goodbye to everybody in the last episode. Yes. He cried with every single person. So I kept crying. I was like, oh my God. Colonel it's hard Potter, to watch no. that. Yeah. Like an old man like us with a, like a straight back old man crying yeah it's like like um what's that band of brothers did you ever watch that yeah Mm -hmm. i I know what it is (sighs) i cried through most of that too yeah it's a really good show i know scott watches it all the time he does he does he'll go back and he'll just start rewatching it it's one Mm -hmm. of his uh, athons oh yeah band of brother athon when i'm working on weekends i love that you guys do athons we do athons (laughs) <laughs> but other super good scene in the final episode was when everybody t- 
takes turns standing up at their final huge dinner together and they talk about what their plans are and, or like, you know, just final sentiments. And some people are really silly. Some people are very serious. The one that hit me the hardest was this like kind of no name actress nurse who stands up and just kind of talks about not knowing, you know, what was going to happen during their time. And you can just tell she looks so kind of shell-shocked by the whole experience and just not knowing what's coming next. And that actress, like, nailed it. Yeah. But I love that scene. No, I liked all the cameos, too, of, like, all the actors. Like, I recognize, like, they're big now. So, like, Patrick Swayze. Yeah. Good cameo. So there's Patrick Swayze. There was Happy Days. Happy Days. um, Ron Howard. Ron Howard. John Ritter, although he's gone, so this younger generations have no idea who he is, but he's from Three's Company. There's a bunch. bunch. Those are the episodes that I actually stopped and watched because I recognize people, except mm. I saved the Patrick Swayze one for later. When I can double down and watch Dirty Dancing right after. It's yes. a good pet. Because nobody puts thong. baby in the corner. <laughs> What's your favorite episode? Oh, the final one. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It had. It's such a good one. It's intense. Yeah, it gets dark. So I, when I watched the first few episodes and then I jumped to the finale and I was like, wow, that was a shift. I also noticed that they got rid of the laugh track, so I looked it up, and it said that laugh tracks were just the staple of the time when the show started, mm-hmm. and the showrunners were like, we don't want a laugh track for the show. It's about war and operating. It's not really appropriate. It's yeah, weird, and we don't I didn't even it. notice that when I watched the first couple episodes. They were, and CBS was like, they couldn't even fathom not having one, because they, it was Everybody like a holdover was from it. radio show. Yeah, and they they were everyone was doing it, and they were like, no, you have to do it's it. It's like when like, they only made silent movies, and then all of a sudden they were like, we're going to make a talkie. Yeah. And everyone's like, you're crazy. It'll never work. <laughs> It'll never work. You need a laugh check, or else how are people going to know when to laugh? Prohibition Pete voice is back out. <laughs> I love I know it's Olivia's favorite. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I read a little bit more, and they said by the season four finale, they, it was the interview, and because that was a documentary style mm, that TV was a good show. one too they nixed the laugh track yeah. and then they could kind of start to get rid of it and it made me think of like the office and parks and rec that documentary that style. style and i like that they did it in black and white so you actually felt like you were watching on a 1950s television it's cool well i also liked all the episodes when they would write articles and send it to stars and stripes because mm-hmm. they were just wacky so what's that Stars and Stripes was like the military um, newspaper newspaper that is still around today. Mm-hmm. Um, but so they would have like random contests for the soldiers or whomever to participate in. So they would have like writing contests, poem contests, or if something like big happened, like a medical miracle, they would write about it. Or um, there's one episode where the mass unit got like a thousand tongue depressors. Mm. So he built a standing tower of just out of tongue depressors. So Stars and Stripes like wrote about it, like this is amazing. Why would a doctor do this? Mm-hmm. Why okay. would a doctor waste supplies during a war? <laughs> <laughs> but they got a thousand of them, and I think it was like also Hawkeye was like up for like four days doing like surgery, and he was yeah. just like, I can't sleep, so I'm just gonna build something of tongue depressors. Yeah, that's the the interesting sort of balance of that character. And I think they do a really good job in the show of putting that forward right away, that he's a, like a roguish character. He's naughty. He breaks the rules all of the time, but he's uh, this brilliant surgeon. So mm-hmm. the mash 
can't get rid of him. And also it makes you like him a little bit more because he is literally saving people's lives. And he genuinely cares about He does. Yeah, patients. good point. And he's super loyal to the people he likes, which I like that quality. Yeah, um, yeah it was like a nice compliment when he, they brought in BJ Honeycutt. Mm-hmm. The two of them together just because they were both caring, loving, and passionate about everyone. But then they threw in Winchester and... yeah. Just to mess with. I didn't care for his character, but you have to have someone that's like the butt of the jokes. Uh, I mean, between Frank Burns and uh, Winchester, which one did you like better? Burns. Yeah, me too. So what else? What other episodes, what other key episodes should people watch? What else should people know about the show? Oh, when um, Colonel Blake's episode, when he leaves the show, it's just, it's a heart-wrenching episode just because how they presented him to the staff that like he ultimately died trying to get home mm-hmm. and he didn't even leave the country. He ended up like dying, yeah. I think in the sea of Japan or something. Mm-hmm. Does it show how that, the, how that, the effects of his death ripple out through all the other characters? Yeah. Cause they were, um, they were in surgery when the radar busted in to tell everyone that, uh, their commander, uh, died. Okay. So, and the, from my understanding is they didn't even tell the cast until like the day of shooting that mm. that character was going to die. Wow. So it was very. So the emotions were very real. Because wow. it was what season was that, five? No, Six? it was, no, it was only uh, four. But still to be with somebody working every day for four years. Totally. And yeah. then they're just gone. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think there was only like uh, five cast members, four cast members that stayed all 11 years. Right. Klinger, Radar. No, Radar left like um, at like season eight or nine. Oh, that's right. They send him home early. Yeah, because that's when. um, Because he's not in the final episode. He's not. So it was Hawkeye, Houlihan, Klinger. Nurse Kelly and Igor, who was like the cook. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. 11 years is a long time to be working on a show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could see that there would be some turnover. So last question. Would you call the series a comedy or a drama or or is it some weird gray mm-hmm. thing in the middle? I think it's like a mesh between mesh. the two. A dramedy? Yeah, it seems like the Drama the moments comedy. that we brought up when we were talking about our favorite episodes are all dramatic things. The finale yeah. is dramatic. The commander leaves is dramatic. Right. We just talked about a lot of the horrors of the war and everything. A lot mm-hmm. of sadness. But there was a lot of funniness in there. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're impish. He and um, Hawkeye and his friends. All the practical jokes they play practical on each other. jokes. I think they did a whole episode or two on just like the practical jokes that they did in each other that would be fun all right so watch mash you guys give it a whirl mobile army surgical hospital don't forget mash. thank you for listening to the books we loved a podcast through the troy public library you can find more information about the books and library services we mentioned in the show on our website at troypl.org podcast. If you would like to suggest a topic for future discussion, please email us at podcast at troypl.org. Thank you for listening and happy reading.